You're listening to I Am Here. So hello, Mel. Hello. Hello. I am joined today by Mel Fox. And Mel, you run a podcast called Get Hype. And that's probably not the only place where people know you. But why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah, absolutely. I kind of ran into the internet when I started seeing a certain someone named James D'Amato. He introduced me to the world of podcasts. Uh, mm. So you can blame this all on him. But uh, three years later, uh, I have started my own podcast called Get Hype, where my best friend Allie and I talk about things that we're very excited about. And then we have people talk to us about things they're excited about. Uh, additionally, you can catch me at times on the one shot Twitch stream playing board games or running random games here and there. That's awesome. So let's let's talk about Get Hype first, because Let's let's just promote that a little bit because Get Hype <laughs> is really great. I've listened to not quite all of it. The the beautiful thing about Get Hype is you don't have to listen to it in order. Oh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I also loved your introduction episode, which was really great too. Oh, thank you. Yeah, the we recorded that introduction episode twice because the first time it was such a rambling mess because we didn't know what we were doing. Um, but we, we recorded it again right before Allie left for Orlando and I feel really good about what we came up with. So I'm, I'm really happy to be doing this podcast because when Allie revealed to me that she was moving to Orlando, I was a little devastated that we had never done an art or a creative type project together. And we kind of missed a big opportunity to get something off the ground while she was still here. And as luck happened to be they stayed one extra month in Chicago and ended up staying in our spare room. So I was able to wrangle her and get about five episodes recorded before she ran away from me. So <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. That must have been hard having your best friend up and leave. Oh, I mean, it, it's not sadly not the first time. Uh, <laughs> a lot of my friends from when I was in school and high school and college and all that live in corners of the United States right now. So it wasn't new to me. It was just, well, another friend is moving. This sucks, but we'll find a way to muddle through it. And we've been able to record at a distance and it's really helped bridge that gap. I mean, what a beautiful way of like continuing that friendship between the two of you of like doing this really positive podcast together. I, I love that it's just a podcast about things that people love. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The thing that I love about your podcast is that it's like, oh, I'm feeling a little down or I want something new that I don't know about or here is something that I know about. I want to hear other people talk about the thing that they love that I also love. And it's just this like wonderfully positive little place of the internet that you've created with your best friend and that's a really beautiful thing thank you and i'm really hoping that um what will attract people to the podcast is relating to things they love but then they'll find new things to love too 
Yeah, like even with your very first episode where you talked about Tangled, I mean, I watched the movie. I didn't even know that they were doing a a TV show. Neither did I until Allie told me about it. (laughs) She chose that topic because the day before she said, hey, did I ever yell at you about the Tangled series? And I was like, no, tell me about it. And she's like, oh, wait, I should record this. (laughs) (laughs) What a perfect intro is her telling you about something that you hadn't heard before exactly yeah (laughs) at least for me i feel like kind of transitioning into the into the rpg community as well as the podcasting community at large is the space of the internet that we have influence over i want it to be a positive and welcoming and open and safe space where we can just be who we are and be happy and positive and that's something that I feel like a real responsibility to. Mm, Absolutely. So I want to know what what is it like being you and what is it like being you in the space that you occupy? Positives and negatives, but (laughs) negatives we can like talk about what we can do to be better. For sure. Gosh, a a wide expanse of topic to, to choose where to start. So first, Perhaps not everyone knows precisely who I am and what I'm about, so I'll just kind of give a little summary of, like, me as a person. As a human, within the last few years, I have discovered some fun things about myself, and that is that uh, I am non-binary. I don't specifically identify with a particular gender. I am biologically female, so I generally go by that. It's much easier to just go with what people know um, in a job sense and in a professional sense. I will accept literally any pronoun that anyone feels I encompass at that moment because, honestly, I don't care about pronouns. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of people that uh, feel very passionately about pronouns and will, you know, say that it it matters and it's important to them. And I totally get that. But me personally, I just don't like them. So I don't care. (laughs) And like finding that point where I am no longer defined by a specific gender or pronoun or label, it's freed me up to be a much more outgoing and like feeling like I can be whoever I want to be in that moment. So I've been really exploring what that means to me and simultaneously i've been getting into the tabletop gaming area (laughs) so it's like it's been kind of a helpful gateway into helping me think through other characters and looking at what i'm looking for in a character and seeing how that correlates to myself so you find that it directly really like channels a part of who you are into your gaming and like your your own self-identity It's like a subconscious thought I didn't know I had until I poured it into a character and watched it play out and said, oh, I didn't know I identified with it that much because it was just a thought until it became a real tangible thing in front of me. Right. So did that come quite organically and naturally as you explored tabletop gaming or did it feel a little bit jarring to you like, oh, or shocking or? Um, it was Like a little bit of a shock, but also not a shock at the same time, because I've always been kind of, um, 
I guess you could say masculine. I've never quite I enjoyed being what people define as feminine. And so I'd always known that I wasn't an entirely straight down my lane kind of person. Right. So at first I was like, oh, but what word defines me? So I did I did like 24 hours of research looking up terminology that people on Tumblr have developed over time and looking at all of the gender and sexuality charts and trying to come up with the words that, that identify who I am and finally came up with a, like a non-binary trans uh, label for myself. And being a subset of the trans community came as kind of a shock to me. I, but in a way, it shouldn't have been because I've always like worn clothes from both genders and it's never phased me before. But as soon as I had that word, I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the English language is a complex language in its own right. And yet it still doesn't seem to have the right terminology for how much more complex and fluid gender is. Absolutely. And I'm always fascinated to hear about new words from other languages. Like German seems to have a variety of words for specific thoughts and feelings. And that's always fascinating to me. And there are several other European languages that just have these these terms that specifically define a moment. Right. And I, I wish there was like a big weird list out there so that we could read through all of them. There probably is. And someone's going to tweet it at me and then I'm going to feel like a dummy for not finding it first. But <laughs> It'll be perfect. <laughs> yes, it'll be everything I've been looking for. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's interesting, though, that, that you find yourself not tied to any particular label and you're okay with whatever people want to refer to you as in the moment. Because for me, as a cis woman, I am... I'm very aware. And when someone's like, well, you can call me her if you want, but like they is okay too. I'm always like, oh, but no, it's not up to me. I want to know <laughs> what you want because I don't, I don't want to impose my assumption. Oh, absolutely. I have found in a lot of my interactions of asking people their preferred pronoun because we can't rely on, on voice and on sight. And so I'm, especially when I meet somebody new, I'm very forward about asking what their pronouns are, just because I don't want to make a mistake. And I don't want to accidentally refer to somebody as something and then have hurt them. Oh, of course. It's a, it's a good practice. I'm just weird. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm such an indifferent, easygoing person. And the, I just, it, the most comfortable state for me is knowing that people aren't worrying about my pronoun or worrying what I want to be defined as because I don't want them to be worried. And it makes me more uncomfortable knowing that they're not sure. Right. So it's just easier for me mentally to process that they can call me whatever they see in the moment. It's a take that I haven't heard before. And I appreciate it because I want to know more about how that impacts you and how you find tabletop RPGs impact those decisions of pronouns or, or character type because there's a lot of things and I've had a lot of conversations so far with people about things that upset them about the RPG community in terms of game books having male female or mm. not identifying necessarily that there is a space for non-binary and so as somebody who is so easygoing and okay with being called whatever pronoun in the moment 
do you feel that same exclusion or that same frustration? Um, so the, the situations that would frustrate me the most are ones where I would be corralled because of my gender. So if there were things that applied to women and not to men in a book, that would drive me crazy. Mm. As far as representation of gender in books, I've come to the conclusion in my life that it may or may not happen that I get to see what I'm looking for in games. So I don't expect it. I haven't really looked for it. And I'm always pleasantly surprised when I find it. What I like to do with those games is I will create a character that reflects what I'm looking for the most, whether it's related to a male or female gender. And I will tell my GM that I am playing a gender fluid person and I will right. be whatever I want to be in the moment. And you know, the, the best way to go about it is find the right GM who can negotiate around that and is willing to encourage that type of play. Because honestly, until there's enough demand and enough people find the opportunity to play a gender neutral person or even just an androgynous person, it's just not always going to be involved in games. I mean, you bring up a good point about your GM and having somebody who is willing to help explore that and help create those stories. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you, you do surround yourself with people who are obviously, you know, very welcoming and are willing to bend and, and flow with, with that kind of play. Mm -hmm. You know, you mentioned that there were games that you're pleasantly surprised when you do find what you're looking for. So what sorts of games are those that you have found yourself really happy with finding a place where you can create that character and you don't feel constrained? I found that in a lot of micro games, gender isn't even brought up. It doesn't matter to the game. Because it's a micro game, you just are who you are and you play the game. So I love playing micro RPGs because, you know, like the like the one page RPGs or yeah. like the certain number of word ones, because who wants to waste that precious space on defining what genders are when you can just define what your gender is in your own head and then you can play the game like a normal person. Right. Just even silly games like James made a game called Millennial Apartment Hunters, and that yes. was <laughs> the first game I ever GM'd. Really? Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was at a Catacon. Okay, like two awesome. years ago, I I had played it with him a few times, and I'm like, I could do this. <laughs> so I pulled it out and grabbed some friends, and we sat down and played, and it was so much fun. And was it your uh, your entry into GMing? It was. It was the entryway drug into getting into more GMing. <laughs> it was the gateway GM drug? Yes. <laughs> I feel like Millennial Apartment Hunters is the perfect gateway. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a wonderful, dumb game. It's just... <laughs> James's love for awkward living situations is baffling to me, but he created a magnificent game around it, and I love it. But one of the ones that I would love to play, and you mentioned was one of your favorites, is Masks. And oh, I recently yeah. bought it on Drive Through RPG. Ooh, nice. And I really want to play it. So I want to hear about. Why is it your favorite to both play and GM? Oh, gosh. I, it might be favoritism only because I've gotten to do both and really enjoyed both games. So 
the first time I played it was a really small short game just to get used to the rules with a couple of friends and we just kind of did like a a scene just to get used to the mechanics and then I took the book home and my good friend Pranks asked me to hack the rules so that we could apply that game to Animorphs. Oh. Yeah. I those books were a huge influence on me when I was a kid. So I I hacked masks. I took the generated characters, renamed them and redid some of their abilities and some of their motivations and I ran that on uh, a three or four episode arc on adventure okay awesome yeah and that was a lot of fun it got so dramatic i thought it was going to be funnier and i i had like a comical ending in mind there was definitely a lot of comedy but the group kind of swung dramatic a cup at a couple of points and i was like oh man I don't really GM drama that well. Like the ending I had thought up is kind of funny. So (laughs) I guess I'll break the tension. (laughs) That was a lot of fun. And then I actually got to play masks on one shot when um, System Mastery Boys were in town. We sat down together and played a fun little game of masks. Oh, cool. So I guess, honestly, it's it's the game that I've become most acquainted with uh, mechanically and playing. So I have enjoyed it a lot. Other games I've played, though, I played a short campaign through part of the Tomb of Annihilation in 5e. Okay. And I had a ball playing that. We did yeah. that on the one-shot Twitch stream, and my good, good friend, Drew Mirzieski was our GM, and I played a gnomish bard. I love the 5e bard. Oh, my goodness. Look, my last character, because we knew that they would die, was, oh no, what was it called? A glamour bard. Oh, nice. It was amazing. (laughs) That's fantastic. (laughs) I literally wrote out lyrics to one stanza of the girl from Ipanema, and every time I died, I would sing a song about my previous life. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) That's beautiful. (laughs) I did it to intentionally annoy everyone, to be quite honest. That was my primary goal in choosing being a bard, and now it's the only class I want to (laughs) be. Bard in 5e. Super fun. Super Very fun to play. I, I brought a little shaker with rice in it. And whenever I sang one of my songs of my previous lives, I would like shake the beat. Oh, so you're like a percussionist bard. <laughs> <laughs> That's even better. <laughs> I, I said I had the other instruments, but I never used them. <laughs> uh, that's perfect. I love that. <laughs> So going, let's go back to masks for a minute because you you really love masks a lot. Mm-hmm. Is having having run it? Do you feel that you know over the past few years, as you've really explored who you are and really discovered that you are non-binary, do you feel that that has affected your storytelling more, both like as a player and as a GM? I'm so. <sighs> Having been raised in the Midwest in a very middle class, very white town, it was kind of uh, mentally beaten into me that gender was specific and there really wasn't any in between. So one thing that I have been doing to try to reverse that what I would like to call trauma (laughs) is push myself 
to play the nine non-binary characters that I want to see and learn the pronouns that that are important to the gender that I've chosen. And it's just remembering to say they, them, or Z here and anything else that anyone prefers to define them as uh, themselves as can be difficult for me because of how browbeaten I've been into uh, the gender binary. Right. And like just remembering every day that I am whatever I want to be can be difficult sometimes. So I, I'm putting an effort into creating the non-binary characters and pushing the terminology on myself because I'm not very good at using it right now. Right. I also like to create very specific opportunities for characters to be whatever they want. I don't care if they want to cross gender, dress differently. I encourage it. And whenever I GM, I ask them, you know, how they want to define themselves. And I leave it as open as possible because I want them to explore that because it's what helps me explore and understand who I am. So it is always inspiring to me when someone else explores the varieties of gender and find something they're really enjoying. And especially in such such a safe and creative space that RPGs can be in that sense. And I think that makes you a really special GM now to to open that up to your players and provide them with those opportunities. Because I think that we don't always get GMs like that or even hear GMs like that in podcasts who are really overt about who the character can be. And maybe it's that, you know, as, as podcasts are, are heavily edited, you know, we, we miss a character creation session in, in that or, or what have you. Um, but I think that's a really special thing. And I think it's really inspiring because it means that people can feel safe at your table to explore those gender fluid terminologies and beings and, and who they want to define themselves as. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and something that I'm actually doing, we started a new 5e campaign and I'm actually playing a non-binary character because, you know, I'm a cis woman and I have never had that experience. Not that playing a game will give me that experience, mm -hmm. but there are terminologies that I was like, I'm not good at these terminologies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's good practice. That way, those kinds of terminologies come really naturally to me instead of me feeling like I'm stumbling and me worrying about offending somebody because I'm always terrified of offending somebody. <laughs> Yeah. And so Grayson from Heroes Not Included uh, sent me this document that they have collated, which is a transgender language primer. It's this amazing document and I've learned so much and I'm still learning more because I can't remember everything that's in the document. Yeah, there, there are so many terms that I don't even know yet. I, I only know the ones that uh, I've run into in meeting people. And I learned new terms recording Get Hype, too, because I had my very good friend, I. Um, they are genderqueer, non-binary, and they prefer to go by Z and here. Here being German term for they. So it took some exercise before here <laughs> got here to make sure I was getting the terminology right. And it's still... Uh, a bit of an exercise because it's such a it, it feels foreign it feels like you're learning foreign words which you know being this far into life having only seen the two genders for 
oh gosh, like 28 years of my life. And then, you know, living in Chicago, finally seeing that it's all a spectrum and understanding that I don't know everything about gender has been just a whole new learning experience. it's, It's really difficult when you grow up hearing terms. I remember people always referred to me as a tomboy. And I was like, why can't I just be a girl who likes hockey? Oh, God, tell me about it. Or why can't I just be a girl who likes sports? (laughs) Because I've never thought of myself as as anything but a girl. But I was constantly given very masculine-influenced terminologies on me because of the way that I acted or because of the things that interested me because of those gender stereotypes. It wasn't until I was an adult in my, Mm -hmm. you know, mid-20s that I started to like really hear all these other terms. And like when I really realized that, no, I can be a girl and and like anything I want and not be referred to as a boy for liking those things. Exactly. Yeah. God, yeah. I was definitely a quote unquote tomboy when I was younger, too. I was like a I was like a T-shirt and jeans person. And apparently that's not good enough for the yes. girls that I was around. So I definitely relate to that. And things like RPGs. For a long time, my husband, he was playing with all guys and he would get home from playing and he would always call me and I'd be like, well, what happened? Tell me the story. I want to know. <laughs> And he'd be like, well, you can come play if you want. But because it was all guys and because the only people I'd ever known who played RPGs were guys, I was like, no, that's a guy thing. (laughs) And like, like, that's what society had imposed on my brain. It was like that RPGs weren't for women. Yeah, I hadn't played an RPG until I met James. I, I am extremely lucky in that I have kind of walked into such an open and interesting world of people that he surrounds himself with because it is what gave me my entrance into tabletop gaming. I had always heard of tabletop games and I just assumed it was for like deep nerds and dudes and neckbeards and that I would never have an entry point into it. Right. It's just such a weird assumption that gets drawn by people who have never been near a game like that before and has no idea. Like I said, I feel so insanely fortunate to have walked into the group I did. I can imagine, unfortunately, what it's like to still live in a place and be surrounded by people that see it as this weird underground gaming thing that isn't worth investigation, isn't worth changing your opinion on. Yeah, I think that the two of you and the people who you surround yourselves with and around and the kind of experience that you had entering the world of RPGs is one that I think that we should strive for for everybody. Absolutely. How wonderful would that be if your introduction to RPGs was everybody's introduction? Absolutely. Yeah. One of my goals is to start playing more and GMing more. And what I would really like to do is GM a game that's more visible. So that could mean a stream in the future okay. where I I really want to enforce, you know, the fact that gender is a spectrum and I want my players to explore that. And it's not going to be a huge emotional campaign. I just want to make it a very safe table and put it out there as an example of 
this is how you could approach this game. And this is how you should encourage your players because, yeah, maybe your player designed a male character and maybe he's curious about painting his nails a different color. Who, who gives a sh- Please paint paint them lime green for all I care. And, yeah. you know, it's just explore whatever makes you happy. Do you want to cross dress for this mission? Hell yes. Now you're a honeypot. Let's go do this. Great. Perfect. <laughs> awesome. It doesn't have to be anything specific it just i want to create a table where people can be whoever they feel like being in that moment because it's a liberty that i have been enjoying personally i love that goal that's such a beautiful and honorable <laughs> goal because i think that sometimes i worry that in past tables when i was much younger and played with people who I don't surround myself with anymore. The kinds of gender exploration that happened all happened in jest. Mm. I think D&D might still have it or may have gotten rid of it. There was a, a belt that changed your gender. Oh, I've heard about that. It was a really negative thing. Wow. And really, like, frankly, transphobic. <laughs> yeah. So when you talk about how, like, yes, paint your nails, do that, like, that's great. And it's not a joke. It's just like, it's awesome. Yeah. And it's celebrated. Absolutely. So so I want that kind of media to be the norm because it Mm -hmm. wasn't the norm. Some of the struggles you talked about reminded me of something that I would like to see introduced at more tables. Yeah. Um, And it's called the X card. Uh, It's something that James uses all the time. And they even have on the stream that he's actually doing right now, the woman with hollow eyes. (laughs) They put a card on the table with a big X on it, and if another player or the GM starts to go into a situation that makes you uncomfortable, you have every right in the world to put your hand on that card, and they have to acknowledge that in that moment what's happening makes you uncomfortable, not like actively say, hey, what's wrong? They just have to say, okay, and then they take it in a different direction. That. It's a really wonderful way of approaching the X card system. Mm-hmm. We also use the X card system in my game, but what we do is we actually just stop play. Everything stops. And because things move so quickly, are you okay talking about it, first of all? And if so, what made you uncomfortable so that we don't ever do that again? What did we use? What did we say? Yeah. And in an intimate group, Yeah, absolutely. Please explore that. If you're with people you trust and feel comfortable discussing what made you uncomfortable, please absolutely do. But like in a group game where maybe someone goes to a convention and sits down with some folks and that you don't know what each other's boundaries are. Oh, you shouldn't have to explain exactly. Yeah, no. And like the last thing anyone wants to do is to upset someone else at the table. That's not why we go to these conventions. So it's a good thing to keep at every table and you have to respect those boundaries when someone touches the X card. And that I think that would make things a lot better at a lot of conventions if if everyone respected that specific uh, mechanic. So is that something that um, you've seen at conventions or that you'd like to see at conventions or that you yourself have implemented when you've been at cons? I I actually haven't played that many games at conventions. And I know many friends who do run games at conventions who do use the X card method and at the top of the game very specifically mention it and say that anyone can touch it at any time and like Mm. explain the mechanic to them. 
But, you know, walking around and looking at other tables, not a lot of other people implement that. And I think it would be extremely beneficial for more GMs to be, even if you're playing with the same group of friends, you're like, I know what their limits are. It's fine. Right. You can't know everything. Oh, no, certainly not. Because there's things that sometimes we don't even realize trigger us until they do. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think you're right. Like, I think that's something that would really help stop a lot of the negative stories and the negative experiences that we've heard Mm. is if that became a common thing for us to see, you know, and even in the big streams, you know, like, can you imagine just the kind of message it would send if we started seeing shows like Critical Role, for instance, like just having that card on their table in yeah, their stream you know absolutely and seeing seeing that happen seeing somebody touch the card and then the like the story go elsewhere just creating the the environment where people see the x card and they understand what to do but all, not only that but respect it and respect limitations because that is such a huge thing that isn't always taught when you're learning how to play a game i haven't actually tuned into any of the the one shot uh streams but you know if that's something that that they're being really clear about having at at their table then that's just another way of showing people that this is normal and this should be normal and this should be the norm yeah i know james had to use the x card just last week because there was a, a concept introduced that he did not feel comfortable with Uh, being portrayed by the current game and he put his hand on the card explained how he was feeling and they moved past it it makes me so happy that like there are groups (laughs) like that that exist because i'm i'm sure more than one of us have our stories of being in a situation where you are uncomfortable and feel like you can't say anything or like you can't change what's happening Mm -hmm. or like you have to explain your boundaries in advance yeah and you should you should never have to do that unless it's like a very explicit boundary that you've had problems with before and you feel like you need to explain it Uh, like no one should have to explain themselves to anyone ever yeah it's a very silly thing to do but you know if there's something specific that comes up really often it's worth saying like grabbing your gm and pulling them aside and saying hey i just want to let you know this is a specific trauma I've been through, and I'd really like it if we could avoid that particular topic. Mm. I know that there are side stories in this specific game that might touch on that, so I'm telling you in advance that it makes me uncomfortable. Right. That's something that even being able to do that in advance is something that wasn't a place that I felt I could when I was younger. Right. But, you know, I'm really upfront about about a, a few of my triggers, only because I also feel like if I'm vocal about what my triggers are, then maybe other people will feel safe about mm. not necessarily having to go into depth about their triggers, but just saying that they they need to avoid something or just feeling like, oh, okay, I can feel safe asking the game to change directions. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, that's another good thing that a good GM can do is at the top say, hey, you know, be- before we start, is there anything that you know, you absolutely do not want to approach in this game. And or maybe even like grab each player one by one and be like, hey, this is kind of the general direction I'm going. Is there anything related to that that you feel like we might run into? Or is there any specific thing that we should not do? And 
you know, I'm, I'm placing a lot of responsibility <laughs> on GMs right now, but it's so, so important to create a safe table and like a good GM can like move it in that direction and even negotiate the people who are incapable of creating a safe table. And a GM can make or break somebody's desire to ever touch gaming again. Absolutely. And so I think we do need to to have that responsibility and to have that care as GMs, like mm. especially with new players and especially with people who may not have explored it and even with players who have, because it wasn't until I actually hadn't been introduced to the X card system until I started playing Mouse Guard and Kevin Bates mm. was our GM. In our very first session of Mouse Guard, he explained the X card and said that that was a system he was going to be using. And we've stuck with that in our games ever since. That's great. And I had never heard it before. And it kind of shocked me that I was like, wow, I've been playing RPGs for a decade now. And nobody has ever introduced the system before at a table that I've played at. Yeah, I I don't know who created it. I don't know where it originated from. Goodbye. But like, bless them. And I would love to shake their hand because uh, <laughs> it's become such a good and incredibly easy mechanic to introduce to a table yeah exactly because yeah one of my one of my favorite questions to ask is like what kind of change do you want to see in the rpg communities and we just talked about the x card system Mm -hmm. unless there's anything else you'd like to add i mean generally speaking i would love to see more people play with the concept of gender and just you know do whatever they want with the gender spectrum with respect, obviously. But right. I would love to see more characters that uh, are non-binary or people that don't exactly match their gender roles and just to see how people function outside of the comfortable binary space. Yeah, I feel like that's a space that isn't we don't hear enough about and we don't see often enough. Mm-hmm. I love it when people take the time to educate me and other people on how to be a better person in general and like a better ally because it's just, you know, it's, it's not something you can just know it's going to take learning. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, the people that have already been through everything will have to continue to teach how to, be sensitive to people who, right. who don't follow the gender binary and who who don't like to follow those particular rules. So it's going to be a little while before every all of this just comes to us naturally. But hearing stories like yours are so important to people who both identify with you and don't. Because for me, I've learned so much talking to you. And you talking about what you want to see in our community are things that help me be better and help me be a better ally so that I can create a space where you feel like you can explore gender at my table, (laughs) you know? For sure. Without feeling unsafe or unwelcome or uncomfortable. And it's how I and many other people learn. And so I so appreciate you talking to me about it. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, I, I always enjoy talking about it because even even though I've figured out so many things about myself, when I talk about these things, I feel like I'm still discovering little parts of myself. So it it helps me talk out my feelings because th- this discovery is very new to me. It's months old. It's not even years. It's 
me figuring this stuff out about myself within the last six months of my life. (laughs) Um, So it's, you know, it's an ever evolving discovery of myself. And I really hope that talking about this and putting it out there and I think I've talked about it in like two podcasts now because I brought it up on Get Hype and now I'm bringing it up here. It's talking about these things is so incredibly helpful and finding the right venue to do that could mean just making a character that you would like to see and exploring those characteristics at the table with the right GM. So reaching out and finding those people that are willing to help you explore those specific traits of a person or a character is just so therapeutic. That's wonderful. And I'm so glad that you have a place where you've been able to do that these last six months. Yes, I am incredibly grateful for that. So my last question, if it's not too personal, is sure. in these last six months of you discovering and you know learning so much about yourself, what is something that has just delighted you about the process either with or without RPGs. Oh gosh. We we often talk about negatives and and how hard things are. But I want to hear about something that delighted you or that you found wonderfully surprising or that was just something really good. <laughs> sure. You know, honestly, the biggest thing that made finding this terminology and this definition for myself gave me was the freedom to literally be whatever I want, which sounds like, okay, but you already had that ability. But once I was able to change the terminology in my head and not feel completely bound by gender and what I'm defined as, I felt like I was more free to explore my clothing options and more free to express myself in different ways. I've been doing a lot more of dressing androgynously and maybe taking a selfie and putting it on Twitter and saying, hey, I feel androgynous today. And then I get so many replies saying, oh my gosh, you look great. And some of my best girlfriends saying, wow, you look hot today. And I'm like, wow, thank you. I feel hot today. Thank you. (laughs) Um, And then like uh, for my company Christmas party, I wore a dress for the first time in years in a public space that, you know, wasn't a wedding or a special event. And I felt more free to explore femininity in that moment than I had ever. Honestly, (laughs) I, I hated being defined as a woman because I felt so overly sexualized my entire life. I mean, it's it started in that tiny hometown full of white people. And it started when a woman in my church saw me wearing a skirt and said, boy, you've got legs for miles. Oh, boy. And it made me incredibly uncomfortable. And that's about the point where I decided I just want to wear pants forever. Yeah. Uh, Because you don't get to look at that and you don't get to sexualize me because you're 50 years old and I'm 14. Yeah. I'm so sorry that happened. (laughs) It wasn't the only thing. but On the flip side, I'm so happy that you also felt like you could explore that femininity in in a way that you hadn't felt you could before. Yes. But like going back to the positive side of it, it it gave me such a freeing feeling 
having that out there and announcing it to my friends and explaining that I just gender doesn't matter to me very much. And like the fact that I could wear a suit to interviews and to meeting customers and thank God I found a job that doesn't care because I dress androgynously constantly. And then I showed up to the Christmas party in a dress and they're just like, who are you? And it's just, it's fun to be able to surprise people and say, well, you know, I'm also technically female, but you know, I do whatever the hell I want most of the time. So yeah, I usually show up in t-shirts and a sport coat and some jeans. And that's usually how I look at work. And then I can, I can do that too. I'm very flexible in that way. <laughs> that's wonderful. I'm, I'm glad that this has been a positive experience for you. Yes, for the most part, yes, absolutely. I, I'm lucky enough that I found this, well, perhaps not lucky, but I found it at a point later in life when I too stopped giving a shit what people thought about me when I, I didn't care anymore. And it made it easier to go out there and say, well, this is who I am. And I don't care what you think. Right. So <laughs> that's, that's wonderful. I, I'm so happy to have heard your story today, Mel. And Thank you. I'm really excited to share it. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Support for the I Am Here podcast, presented by RPG Casts, is made possible by listeners like you. You can help keep the show going, get sweet excess bonus content for as little as $2 a month when you become a patron on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash rpgcasts to check out exclusive rewards for patrons and make your pledge. I Am Here is a production of RPG Casts. The intro and outro music was composed by Emily E. Mayo. Special thanks to Peter Grelly for designing the graphic art and assets for both RPG Casts and for I Am Here. Visit the website at IamHerePodcast.com for show notes, transcripts, and so much more. You can find more about RPG Casts by going to RPGCasts.com and follow on Twitter at, at RPG underscore casts. Otherwise, thank you so much for listening to I Am Here. It means so much.